Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Today as we continue on in our series, Citizens and Saints, I want to speak to you from the subject, Walking in Workmanship. Walking in Workmanship. As we look at what it means to be Christ's workmanship. Will you pray with me just one more time this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and that it's active and that it's powerful. God, we thank you that you are good, that you are mighty, that you are gracious, and you are loving. We thank you that we can gather today as a community, coming from different places and spaces and backgrounds and situations, that we can all come together today, regardless of any of that stuff, and know that in this place we will hear you, experience you. God, I pray that you would speak to us right now. God, that you would encourage our hearts. Where those of us who are struggling, I pray that you would give us hope and encouragement. Those of us who are having a good week, God, I pray that you would continue to encourage us as we look forward to participate in and and to do everything that you've called us to do. We love you and we thank you that you've anointed the Utah Jazz for such a time as this. (laughs) In Jesus' mighty name, come on and everybody shouted. Amen. Any any jazz fans in here? They're they're doing all right. Yeah. There's like four of you. Awesome. All right. Sounds good. Everybody's like, I don't know. We'll wait to see what happens next. Um, I'm going to throw some pictures up on, on the screen. The guys are going to dim the lights so you can hopefully see this and try to look, look around the pulpit. Um, yeah, there we go. Can you guys dim the stage lights a little bit more? There you go. Awesome. So this is my son. Um, this, is, this is yesterday in our backyard. Uh, we were chilling. And uh, don't, like, don't judge my backyard, all right? So I'll judge your backyard. Um, but... Uh, so, um, so the kids were playing, and they, you know, you know how kids are, they come up with all kinds of funny contraptions and everything like this. So uh, next picture, guys, I want you to see how this is going. So this is him running around some more, and I'll, I'll explain what's happening in a minute. I just want you to kind of get the, get the picture. Next one, guys, see he's running around in this one as well. And he's just having the time of his life, and he's like super giddy about what's happening, and we're sitting down, we're chilling like right over here on the lawn. And then I want you to see what he, what he had made. Um, this is his contraption. Uh, this was his kite. He made a kite out of a ninja sword and a piece of paper and a ribbon. And I'll tell you what, this kid was like pumped. You would have thought he just created the, na- the next great invention of the world. I mean, he was like over the moon crazy about it. And so I'm taking pictures because he's like, Dad, Dad. And, and let me be honest with you. Um, it didn't fly very well. <laughs> right? But, like, I love the table. I love the table pic. Go back to the table picture, guys, because he's just up on the table. He, like, in all of his glory, he's like, like, I am awesome. Like, this is his, this is, and it didn't fly well. It kept whacking him in the face and everything like that. And it would, like, drop down, and he have to, like, kind of find the wind with it. And here's the deal. Like, in my garage, I have two kites that have not been used yet. Like, proper kites that we bought them last summer and we've never used yet. And I thought to myself, man, we can just go get a real kite. Like, and, and, and we can fly a real kite, and it's going to do what it's supposed to do. But here's what I want you to hear this morning. He didn't care about what it did. He cared about what it was. Why? Because he made it. Because he made it. The emphasis of this verse, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, many times is the doing aspect of the verse. I think that's human nature, right? That we tend towards a focus on task and function and doing. But in reality, the most important part of this verse and the part that needs to be understood is the workmanship part of this verse. 
Now, this doesn't excuse the reality of what we do and are called to do, our, our function, but it does create the right framework for our doing to flow from. And like, much like Justice was saying, the doing does not matter at first glance. Look at how great it is. And this is what Paul's trying to convey right here in Ephesians. Our greatest doing comes only from an understanding of what and who we are in Christ. We are his workmanship. And when we get this, when we assimilate this truth into our lives, it changes how we do everything in life. Justice was pumped, not because of what it did, but because of what it was and the fact that he made it. And I think that's an important thing for us to realize as we deal with this issue of workmanship. Now the word workmanship is a really interesting one. It's special and has a very pointed definition. The Greek word translated workmanship is poema from which we derive our English word poem. Poem. All right? It means that which is made has been created, manufactured, that is ongoing in its process of creation. In other words, many of us think it's like boom, zap, bang, God made us it's over. It's done. I walk through this, this life and it is what it is. But what the Bible is trying to convey to us is this really cool truth that we are his workmanship. You and I are Christ's poem that he's still writing. So salvation, the moment we say yes to Jesus, that's just the beginning, y'all. That's just the start of this amazing journey that he's taking through. You and I are poems. Come on, turn your neighbor this morning and say, you're a poem. Come on. Husbands, look deep into your wife's eyes in this moment. Come on. Turn to your other neighbor and say, you're a poem. You're a poem. (laughs) Some of you are simpler poems. Seth is a simpler poem. Some of you are more complex poems. Ladies in the house, you are more complex poems. (laughs) But here's the point. God is writing the story. God is writing the poem of your life. You are, we are, his workmanship. His workmanship. Now, I want to say this as a preface to next week's message already. Today's message is vital because of what we will be dealing with next week. Next week is going to be an important and very direct message that I can't wait to dig into. But I want to prepare you in advance. Because here's the problem. How many of you would agree with me? That right now our world is relationally fractured. Paul is offering us right now, and as we dig into next week, the solution to the problem. That's a bold statement when we think about all the things that we're trying to solve right now in our current form, in our current reality. But here's the deal. One of the reasons that we have relational fracture in our world right now is simply because we don't understand a workmanship issue. When we start to realize that every single one of us Whether we call ourselves a Christ follower or not, we are his workmanship. And when we start to understand and value different workmanships, it changes the way that we relate with one another. Next week, we're going to deal with this issue that Paul's going to deal with, which is this divide that takes place in people. If you think division is a new thing in our culture and our generation, just read history. Come on, somebody. Division's not new. It is not a new ploy, it is not a new game of the enemy, right? It's been happening for millennia. And we need to understand something that when we understand the workmanship issue, it changes the game on how we relate with one another. 
It allows us to see unity. It allows us to see reconciliation between people groups. It allows us to see all kinds of amazing things that God wants to see. And we're going to be talking about that next week. So do not miss next week. But in order to do next week, we've got to talk about this stuff today. Workmanship. Ever shout workmanship? So four truths that we need to understand this morning about workmanship. And you're going to help me out all morning long. All right? So come on. Everybody say number one. The first one is this. First truth we need to understand about workmanship is workmanship never questions its worth. <laughs> workmanship never questions its worth. Psalm 139, 13 through 16. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. See, worth is an intrinsic value that is determined by the maker of something. He and he alone establishes the value assessment of something. This is a truth that many of us need to understand today because we've allowed the world around us to determine and assess our value. And in doing so, we've left the one who has made us out of the picture. When we devalue ourselves, when we devalue the workmanship around us, we call into question the nature and character of the creator of it. Let me illustrate it this way. My son builds a kite yesterday. How many of you know that my response to my son was not, well, that's not really a good kite? Because my wife would have probably injured me severely, right? It makes me a horrible father. Hey, well, you could have actually done better with the kite if you would have done this, 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 and this, right? No, uh-uh, that's not how my response, my response was, dude, it's awesome. I want a kite just like that. I was pumped about it. Why? Not because the kite was awesome but because the creator of the kite was awesome. And see, many of us, we miss this. We devalue the workmanship that we are. We devalue the workmanship around us. And really, at the end of the day, when you do that, what you're devaluing is the creator of the workmanship. Here's the deal. When the workmanship questions its worth, we call into question the character and the ability of the creator. See, the truth is never... Never have we seen a piece of art question the artist. I mean, think about that. We were like, well, that's, that's, a, that's just a, that's a non-argument, Jason. Art would never question the artist. Yeah, but if you read the Gospels, Jesus would propose things like that all the time to get us to assimilate a thought process. Because we, as God's art, his workmanship, his poem, we're notorious for questioning our worth. We allow the world around us to question our worth, to devalue who we are and what we've been created to be. What we have to understand is that every single one of us has been created by God for a purpose, one that is meant to be walked in and walked out. When we, his workmanship, question our worth, we devalue everything that he's put in us and called us for. Come on, students, I want to talk to you this morning. I've been waiting for this service all morning. Do not ever Allow the world around you to devalue the workmanship that you are in Christ Jesus. And we're going to talk about some other points that are going to challenge that because of how many of us find ourselves. But I want us to know we are a church for this next generation. The reason that we have them in here and they're hooting and hollering and cheering and, and doing all the things that they're doing and barbecuing, which some of them are mad you adults ate their food last week, but that's a whole other issue. 
We want to provide a place. Come on, somebody. We want to provide a church where our students, our young people, our next generations understand the value that's been placed upon them by the creator of them as workmanship. But how do we model that, adults? We model that by learning to value ourselves in a way that is in relationship with to what he says about us as his workmanship. We've got to model it so that the next generation believes it. Oh, man, I'd hate it if the next generation grew up saying, why would I ever value myself as Christ's workmanship when I watch those ahead of me never value themselves as Christ's workmanship? So the first thing that we need to understand about workmanship is workmanship never questions its worth. 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 6, such is the confidence, as Paul writing, such is the confidence that we have through Christ before God. It's not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything is coming from ourselves, but our adequacy or our, our quality, right, is from God. He has made us competent or qualified. That's what the, some of your translations would read that. To be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Here's what I want you to hear this morning. Don't question what God has qualified. You're qualified, not because of your perfection, because there is no perfection, right? Listen, you're qualified, not because of your talent. You're qualified, not because of your goodness. You're qualified, not because of your job or your finances or your looks or your this, that, or that. You are qualified because he qualified you. You are qualified because he made you. You are qualified because he is your creator. You are his workmanship. That is our and where our qualification comes from. Come on, everybody, shout number two. Second thing is this. Second thing we need to understand, second truth about workmanship, is workmanship is never wrapped up with worry. Workmanship is never wrapped up with worry. Matthew chapter 6, 25 through 34 says this. Therefore I tell you, one of my most favorite scriptures, I read it all the time because it's therapy to my soul. All right? Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns. So here's, here's Jesus making this argument that I made earlier about art. Because everybody wants to say, well, like, birds don't, like, they don't work that way. But he's trying to illustrate something. He's trying to get us to see the, the lunacy in it sometimes. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? There's that worth issue. Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? You ever tried that before? You ever tried to add some more time by worrying, figuring out really quickly that you lost a ton of time by worrying? All right? Why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? You have little faith. So don't worry saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all of these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added, provided for you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. If you don't hear anything else in this message, come on, hear this. Don't worry about tomorrow. Worry about tomorrow. Why? Because tomorrow will worry about itself. And then, then he says this very poignant truth. 
each day has enough trouble of its own, doesn't it? I love when Jesus just breaks it down for us. He's like, listen, don't worry about tomorrow, because today sucks enough. <laughs> it's like, so don't double up on it, <laughs> all right? See, many of the worries that we face and foster, generally speaking, include worries over the past, which we can't change, right? Worries over things that we have no control over, and irrational concerns or fears and, and future worries, all right? That's like the main thrust of most of our worries. See, healthcare providers, doctors, and those generally involved with health would agree that chemicals released during extended periods of worry actually do considerable amounts of damage on the mind and the body. Worriers, as they call them, are prone to headaches and high blood pressure. So if you don't hear, like if you don't even care about the Jesus part of this, like I can just help you out this morning. You will cure headaches and high blood pressure. Stop worrying. Church dismissed. We're good. As well, worriers in general are just no fun to be around. And therefore, many experience feelings of loneliness and isolation as many people try to keep distance from them as to not have that person's worries, watch this, fall on top of their worries. You ever experienced that before? See, with all that in mind, what we then try to do is we then try to divide our life. So then we have our spiritual box over here, right? And we have our everything else box over here. But the problem with dividing our life like this so we can cope with the worry issues is that it fractures the way that we think about things. And biblically speaking, Christ never wanted us to live divided lives. They're integrated lives. So here's the problem, though. What happens naturally in our world has a tendency to seep into our soul. But what happens in our soul has a tendency to seep into our world. And so here's the question we got to deal with. Am I allowing my worry and my pain and my frustration, all the stuff that I'm going through right now, at this over amount of worry, am I allowing it to seep into my soul? Or am I allowing my soul, which is being cared for by God, to seep into my natural world, dealing with my worries and my frustrations and everything like that? So we got to understand something. Workmanship was never wrapped up in worry. See, for many of us, our worry becomes an idol in our life. Now, if I were to say to you this morning right now, every single one of us is an idol worshiper. You'd be like, nah, mm-mm. no we're not. I don't have like a little trinket up on my shelf or anything like that, like that, that, I, that I worship. But here's the, here's the thing. The definition of idol worship is this, to place something above Christ. And so for many of us, we elevate our worries to a place of lordship in our lives as we succumb to them and we give power to it. See, worry, if we're not careful, can and will distance us from God. And the enemy of our soul uses worry and fear to bring a divided between us and God. Knowing that if he can get us alone and isolated, we're easier to pick off. But have you ever been there before? You've had your little worries? Right? I'm like, I, I got my little worries. I'm good with my little worries. But then our big worries... Have you ever noticed that we have a tendency to give Jesus our little worries, but our big worries, we're like, this is all mine, right? This worry right here, I'm going to place it, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a higher position in my life than God himself. And the problem with that is that we then push God out of the picture to help us deal with it. Because he wants to deal with it. He's like, I want to be in your mess. 
His message, hear this this morning, his message is this, I want to be in your mess. That's his message. I want to be in our mess. I love that. And so that's why workmanship has never been designed to worry. We've never been called to be wrapped up in, in worry. That's why 1 John 4, 18 says this, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. In other words, God's perfect love casts out worry and fear. Think about that. How many of you would know that we try to find love in all the wrong places? Right? And we try to find perfect love. And I want to give you, I want to give you something that, if this is for free this morning, there is not one thing in this world that can give us perfect love. The only one who gives us perfect love is the perfect one. So when we fear, when we worry, all I got to do is just find myself back into a place where, like, God, I need your perfect love. Your ability to do something is not going to work. How many of you ever tried to fix a situation before, made it worse, and worried more? Right? We have a tendency to do this. Why? Because we are control freaks. We love control. But here's the thing. Maybe you're like me. I've come to understand I've got no control in this world. Only perfect love from the creator, and I am his workmanship. Number three, everybody shout number three. Number three, the third one is this. Workmanship is never controlled by comparison. Workmanship is never controlled by comparison. Okay, therapy session, come on. Everybody raise your hand because you're lying otherwise. How many of you have ever compared yourself to somebody else before? Come on, okay. How many of you have done that secret Facebook thing or Instagram thing where you <laughs> take a look and you're like, oh, look at them and their perfect world, <laughs> right? Oh, look at, they're always just posting cupcakes that are so beautiful, <laughs> right? I'll never post my cupcake because it resembles something very different, right? You guys are like, I never post about cupcakes, right? I just don't post, right? <laughs> We have, these, we have these things that we do in order to draw comparison to ourselves and others. Comparison's a deadly game to play. Now watch what 1 Corinthians 15, 10 through 11 says. But the grace of God, by the grace of God, I am what I am. <laughs> this is Paul writing. I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Yet, not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have believed. I love this therapeutic moment that Paul offers. I am what I am. Some of us need to say that this morning. I am what I am. I am what I am. Like, it is what it is. Like, I'm balding, and I'm owning it. I am what I am. My wife, <laughs> I was trying to figure it out, so I was, taking, I was sitting on the couch, and I was taking pictures of the back of my head. Um, <laughs> these are the games that we play in the parish household. And so I'm sitting on the couch, and I had this phone, and the... And I didn't know if it was like my head was the issue or the camera was the issue, but it kept on blurring out. So I think my camera was trying to tell me something. But um, I, I finally snapped a picture and I, and I showed it to my wife and I was like, is it really this bad? And she's like, ew, gross, don't show me that. <laughs> I was like, that's it? Our marriage has been predicated upon my hair. I knew it! I use it as a funny illustration because it's true. I will literally look at people's hair. <laughs> Be like, man, I wish I had their hair. <laughs> I'm jealous of my son. He's got the coolest hair on the planet. And I'm like, how did you get that? This? 
thing going on. I am what I am. See, the dangers of comparison are far more reaching than simply not being content with one's life. See, it causes deep fractures of insecurity, instability, and internal critique, which mars and mangles the beautiful workmanship of the hand of God. On top of that, comparison becomes a controlling factor in our lives. It controls our perception, our actions, our thinking, our interactions, and even our faith. Comparison, listen, comparison is the smallest way to view ourselves and the easiest way to limit God. Comparison is the smallest way to view ourselves and the easiest way to limit God. God's workmanship was never created to be compared. It was created to be celebrated. Celebrated not because of what it is, but because of who's created it. See, when we enter into the ring of comparison, it is a fight that we can never win because the opponent will always be bigger, faster, stronger. Have you noticed that? Whenever we compare, there's always somebody who's better. Now, I want to really dig deep and like kind of like, can we do some surgery this morning? Is that, is, will you guys trust me with some of that? Here's the problem with comparison, by and large. When we enter into comparison by comparing ourselves to somebody, seeing that they are bigger, faster, and stronger, we then automatically enter into a position where we have to find ourselves comparing ourselves to somebody who is not what we are. So here's the problem. When we do this, your comparison either leads you to pride, or your comparison leads you to destruction. No matter which way you slice it, it ain't healthy. You guys tracking with me this morning? So this is why Paul deals with this workmanship issue, because when we understand that we are his workmanship, it changes the way that we view everything. See, when I look at you as his workmanship, and you as his workmanship, and you as, we don't, we don't do the comparison game. Like, like Devon and Rachel this morning. You guys, they did stinking amazing leading us this morning, right? Beautiful voices. Oh, man, I wish I could sing like Devon. But I can't. But I could compare myself. But how many of you know I wasn't created to be like Devon? I wasn't created to be like Rachel. Some of you right now have the gift to be able to, to sing and play, and you're hesitant to stand up here and get involved with the team because you're comparing yourself. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't do it like they do it. You weren't meant to do it like they do it. Oh, I couldn't sing like they say. It doesn't matter. You weren't created to sing like they sing. You were created to sing like you sing because your unique talent and anointing brings praise and glory to the one who created you. I say that because we're getting ready to launch a new community. Oh, I'm going to preach right now. <laughs> <laughs> and what's going to happen is we're going to have people who are doing what you've been used to me doing and others doing. And there's this really tricky situation that can start happening where you go, well, that's not Pastor Jason. Good. They haven't been created to be Pastor Jason. And if the church is going to thrive in the city that we've been called to, we've got to look at workmanship across the board. So you might have somebody else up here shouting and yelling at you. Or you might have somebody else who speaks in very poetic and calm terms. Which waved bye-bye to me a long time ago. <sighs> Workmanship. We can't be controlled by comparison. 
Some of us are coming from different states. I didn't say any of this in nine, so I'm just kind of like, I want to tackle some issues right now. Some of us are coming from different states and different places where it was like, well, I was a part of a church that did this, and I was a part of a group that did this, and I had a bunch of friends that did this, and I had everything, and I'm not seeing any of that here. Good. Because we're not there. We're here. You've been brought here. We need your workmanship to engage in new moments with new workmanship so that we can continue to be a part of the workmanship that God is trying to do in this valley in order to reach this valley the way we've been called to reach this valley. We are his workmanship. Pastor Justin wasn't even here this morning. The team did awesome. I love it. He doesn't even need to be here anymore. <laughs> he has a gift. He's using it someplace else right now. Actually, he's marrying a dear couple that moved from California that was a part of our church. And uh, he's in California wearing a monkey suit, so it's good. Are, are you tracking my heart this morning? <laughs> we cannot be controlled by comparison. I actually think one of the reasons that the church has lost its potency in the world that it lives in is because it's been too much comparison happening in the walls, outside of the walls, amongst all these different things, and God's like, I'm sick of it. I created you to be you. And the other thing about it is I want this church to be all kinds of full of workmanship. And it doesn't matter where that workmanship's coming from. It doesn't matter where that workmanship's coming from. I don't want to be a church full of workmanship that believe that they're the best workmanship ever. I want to be a church full of workmanship that's going, man, I am still a poem in progress. God is still writing my story. You know what comes out of that? Vibrancy, life, expectancy, hope, all of those different things. And one of the reasons that the church, and I, and I say this like as a global kind of issue, has lost ground and has lost its potency is because we've all created church to be this place where a bunch of perfect pieces of art come to instead of works in progress. We haven't been called to do that. Workmanship is never controlled by comparison. All right, I'll shut up now. Number four. Just wanna go number four. Number four, last one is this. Workmanship never doubts its design. Workmanship never doubts its design. Ephesians chapter two, verse ten says this for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. When we doubt the design, we tend to then use things in ways that damage. You ever been there before? Right? And I think this is true for us personally as well. When we doubt our design, we tend to use and be used in ways that are damaging. Have you ever told someone or had to make someone aware that they have been using something wrong? Parents, we do that all the time, don't we? So a couple weeks ago, uh, we bought a new toaster. Thank God for toasters. Like, man, I love toasters. <laughs> So we've been hanging by a thread, like living on a prayer <laughs> with this previous toaster before the new toaster because it was in shambles. But like we just never went. We never like wanted to spend the money on a toaster. And, uh, and so after this took place, we got the toaster really quick. So Erica was asleep. Elle was in, in her bed, in the bed, and, and they were sleeping, getting a little extra sleep. And we've been training <laughs> our other two kids to get up 
get their clothes on, brush their teeth. This is the system before school, and they go make breakfast. I think they've learned through this training that the easiest breakfast that you can make is toast. So they eat toast a lot. They are, they are toast connoisseurs. And so Erica leans over to me, and she's like, there's a lot of racket going on there. Can you please go check on the kids? We were trying to get the last, last ounce of sleep, and so I, like, get out of bed. And I go, ah, they're just making breakfast. So my eyes are like half asleep and I'm like walking into the living room and I'm kind of like, you know what I'm talking about when you're in that sleep where you're still just like, it's happening right now. (laughs) That was where I was at. And uh, so I walk out there and with like one eye closed and one eye kind of open, I'm watching the toast shenanigans take place. And the broken toaster had a lever that didn't work and it didn't pop up appropriately all the time. And so I'm watching my son like bang on the toaster thing. He's like, Shiloh's kind of like laughing and it's really funny. He's like, son, what are you doing? The toaster's broken. Still half asleep. And he's like, dad, my bread's stuck. All right, get it out. So he grabs a fork. And he goes to stick it in the toaster. And I woke up really fast at that moment. Like I was like awake and I was like, I ran into the kitchen and I grabbed his hand. I was like, no, you don't ever stick a fork in the toaster. And then I said the thing that dads across the world have said before. Is that what the toaster and the fork were made for? He looks at me. He's like, Dad, I just want a toast. It was in that moment I realized something. How often we tend to use things wrongly. And because of it, it gets damaged and we get damaged. And this is the problem when we don't understand design. Workmanship never doubts its design. And many of us have doubted our design on behalf of God. And so we've been used and have used in damaging ways. Because we don't trust who he's made us to be. We don't trust the design and the purpose that's in every single one of our lives. And this is the good news, church. You have a purpose. You have a design. You have a reason. You have a rhyme. There is something that God is doing because you are intricately woven and made by the creator of the universe. You are his workmanship. You are a poem in progress. He is doing a new and good thing in your life. So many times we allow things to use us use ourselves and we abuse ourselves simply because we don't understand our design what if we understood the design a little bit better if we didn't doubt that design how would it change our world how would it change our lives how would it change our experience in the world that we live workmanship never doubts it's design things were made to work certain ways you were designed to work with God in a way that would make his name famous in this world why? because you are his workmanship watch this when used appropriately you don't get glory he gets glory when the workmanship is displayed the way that it needs to be displayed the workmanship doesn't get the glory gets the glory. Justice got props for making a pretty cool kite. The kite wasn't rad in and of itself. The creator who made that 
and with proudness walked around the backyard. This kite. How many of you know I wasn't looking at the kite yesterday? I was looking at my son with the biggest smile on his face. Look what I made. Look what I made. This is you in the hands of God. He just wants to hold you up. Look what I made. Look at this beautiful crate. Look what I did. Look what I'm doing. It's the heart of God for you and for me. Because we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he's prepared beforehand for us to walk in. In Jesus' name, come on, would you stand to your feet with me?